If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. We've got our special guest today, Steve Brinkworth from Horsemanship Essentials. Steve started off with his own horses, had a successful horse trekking business, taking riders to the Flinders Ranges in South Australia, which I think would be an interesting story just in itself. He's also been a successful endurance rider, winning a couple of quilty buckles. And word of mouth started and he started to train horses. Now he delivers schools and spends a lot of time just training horses and working at Horsemanship Essentials. How are you today, Steve? I'm well, thank you, Glennis. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, that's okay. I'm sure we've got lots to talk about. I'm very interested in a few different things that you've done, but we'll start off, I think, with a favourite quote that you might have, Steve. Have you got one for us? Um, My favourite quote, I think, would be, never give up, which was uh, what Harrison Ford said to an interviewer (laughs) when he was uh, interviewed about why he was still there, and um, lots of the people he started with weren't. And um, He's not really a Meryl Streep-type actor. He's great, and I think he's awesome, but he said never give up. And I think that that really is uh, important in horses and life, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a good quote. You know, I'm just thinking as an endurance rider, it's like never give up, never give up. So, you know, endurance rider, but um, endurance in just horses and business as well. Yes, it can be up and down, and it can be a bit of an emotional uh ride as well and um, it's important to not let those things get in the way of your your goals and um, you know your enjoyment of the sport. Yep yep. Steve just thinking about what you do now you teach a lot of horsemanship now you know you're getting results going back to the first time you know and I'm thinking about you had a horse called Charlie going back to even him and I don't know if you got results with him but when did you, did you do anything to Charlie or what did you do to get a result to make you think, wow, I'm going to get hooked on this. This is going to change the rest of my life. You may not have thought that at the time, but, you know, I always think that if you go back to those first times with a horse and that achievement and getting some sort of results, do you remember that day? Oh, Glennis, we are going back a fair while now. Charlie and I were, I was a kind of a kid, um, oh, 12 or something, something like that when I was endurance riding on him and um, I don't know what it's like for other kids and that but I I really wasn't greatly aware of things I was doing I don't think. I did a lot of stuff and I I rode and I think one of the things that made us good at endurance was um, we rode a lot with the trekking business so our horses were ridden a lot and um, that that they were fit. you know, I got a thousand miles on a couple of different horses, which is a, a, a bit of an achievement with um, endurance riding, keeping horses going. And um, I think we must have been good at what we did in 
trotting and keeping the horses balanced. So we did left and right diagonals and we canted on a left lead and we canted on a right lead and we did lots of ups and downs, I even as in hills and I um, jogged on foot and things like that. And um, he was a pretty smart horse and I think I was able to manage him quite well. But one of the keys for it was the work. You know, they were consistently in work and um, it's hard for people, you know, you're off at work all week and, and you get out with your horse once a week or once a fortnight for people and, and that can be difficult. Um, so I guess in answer to your question, there's not one particular thing, moment where I was like, wow, I did a really great job there. Um, I guess we did do a good job, but... um. I think the work was really helped with the horses, mm -hmm. consistent work, and also um, not being erratic in our own behaviour with the horses, so not flying off the handle and getting angry at them. I think we were quite consistent with how we treated them, so yep. that helped them to be calmer and, and more focused on the job, whereas mm -hmm. if we get emotional, they, they tend to get emotional themselves. Yep, yep. So starting off, so you when you're 11, you're in the business. Were you always going to stay in the business of horses? Was that just a given because your family were in the business? That's a good question. I mean, I have had times where I wanted to be off being a ski instructor for snow skiing <laughs> and uh, various other things. But I've always, always been in in horses. So I, I guess without knowing it, without making a conscious choice, I was always going to be in horses. Mm -hmm. I think I, I made a conscious choice about um, 15 years ago to, to actually really do what I'm doing. Yep. And I think that could have been when I started to realise that I could, I could actually, rather than manage horses, I could actually really change their behaviours in a way that benefited the horse and the horse's owner as well, but that the horse itself, by by changing the way it moves and its its um, instinctual behaviours, you make a dramatic change in the horse's day to day life, and um, you ensure his long term longevity. Because um, you know the sillier horses get, as we, you know, as as people kind of look at horses and think they're a bit silly, um, it starts to endanger their their well being. You know, because they can become too dangerous and and um, be put down and destroyed and various things like that. So um, I think that's when I started to really make that conscious choice. But I think it was always, oh, I don't know about destined, but I was always going to be in horses. Mm. When you go and, and do clinics now, do you pick out people and think, you know, that you've got the core skills or the character traits to have a horse industry career? Or what would you say if you were looking for someone just at the very start of their career, if they're interested in working with horses? What sort of person would it be? Uh, to answer your first question, which was do, when I go to a clinic and mm. I'm, I'm teaching a clinic, do I see people who I think have a chance in the industry? Um I don't really look at people that way because what we're teaching them really changes how they are with horses and they really come to understand the fundamental things about horses. And so once they do those things, they become very uh, good with horses, even if they might not have started out particularly um, good at training a horse. Yep. They might have been fearful or intimidated or whatever. So 
you know, there's been many times in my life when there's been a person you think, oh, they're really suited at that, and then it actually turns out that they're not. And then someone else that you think is suited at something or not suited becomes really amazing. So I guess I've, I've kind of removed or just come to not look at people that way, mm-hmm. um, you know, because people can change and learn. And But referring to your second question about the things that are would be important for a person who wants to do um, be part of the horse industry. I think a real belief in themselves is important. Um, you, it's important to look at other people and learn from other people, but it's also important to be able to believe in yourself to the extent that if you are criticised or told you've done something wrong or that you don't fall in a heap about it, that you can truly look at it and say, um, yes, you're correct, I, I did that wrong and I'm going to uh, learn from that and improve, or say, well, actually, you know, what you said is not true and um, maybe you've got some personal things going on yourself that caused you to say this. Maybe you wouldn't say that to their face, but mm-hmm. that's the, you know, the intellectual part of it so that you don't get hugely affected by everyone else's um, input to what you might be doing. Um, another thing I think is that persistence that we talked about earlier and also a, a overall calmness in you yourself. You can't be erratic emotionally. The more emotionally calm you are, the better. Not to the point that you're kind of dull and unresponsive, but you know that you're not angry one minute and sad the next minute and you know up and down you need to be quite calm and consistent in your behavior yep. um, that helps the courses and it, it obviously helps yourself so i think they're probably three fairly uh, important characteristics mm, i've got to go back to your first one though you know because i absolutely take what you said about you know not judging people because sometimes people that you think haven't got the essential abilities actually learn to cope with those abilities but surely one of the core skills then is that they've got to be open to learning about it yeah i think the ability to take on information is Mm. critical so if the day that you think there's nothing else for you to learn and i think that's in any industry is probably the day that you may need to move on to a new career (laughs) um i think i'll be pushing up daisies is when i stop learning Mm. Um, so yeah, I'll be learning and being taught things by people and horses uh, right up until the last moment. Um, so it, it never really stops. It might not be the great leaps of learning that you had when you first started with horses, but as you go along, there's still very mm-hmm. small little learnings consistently yep, yep. for you to take up. Steve, you, you've mentioned that you've sort of made the commitment, right, this is what I'm going to do. You know, you might have drifted a little bit, but what's the best thing about working with horses and working in the horse industry? The impact that I can have, myself and my wife Sally, the impact we have on people with their horses. People come away from the clinics understanding why the horse does things he does, he, yep. she does, uh, and our understanding that it's not personal, it's mm-hmm. not the horse having a personal vendetta against you, that there's reasons, logical and understandable reasons why every behaviour a horse has, he has, and there's things that you can do about it that will help him to no longer need to have those behaviours. 
the beauty of horses is they're not attached to any behaviours whatsoever. Humans are more inclined towards, I do these things for reasons in our past and we're very defensive of the things we do and so we'd want to hang on to our behaviours. Um, even if they're not benefiting us, we tend to hang on to them. Horses aren't that way. So as soon as you show a horse a better way, um, that they they feel calm and they feel safe with those those new behaviours, they just take them on board. And that that's really inspiring when you see people understand that and they, they're no longer in a battle of wills with their horse because they understand that the horse isn't isn't out to get them. It's not um it's not doing anything personally. It's just needs to be taught these things and then it's just become such a placid um creature that's so willing to give and to try for us. Um there's no nastiness in horses at all. It's not really part of their nature. Um it can become a learned behaviour but Overall, they're not nasty. They're not. They're just so willing. Yep. So that that's very inspiring, and and that's um, probably one of the greatest, best things I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, meeting people and helping them is a really great thing as well. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about people who've influenced you. Your family, obviously, because you had the family business, but other people. I know that you're open to learning. Who's influenced you? Who's helped you? Yeah, one that when, when you ask that question, a person that comes to mind is Craig Johnson. He is a uh, a rainer from um, in in the United States, and he's he's been um, one of the highest earning uh, rainers in history over there. Um, now, while I'm not a rainer um, at all, um, he his philosophy was really great. He would break things down with horses. Um, into little bite-sized pieces, and the horses were never a fault. And um, it was it, it was really great to see how his horses moved and the things he was able to do with them. So he certainly um, was quite an inspirational person for me to see. I saw him in the states, and I also saw him over here. So in at Equitana a few years back. Um, so he's certainly one that comes to mind first and foremost. Okay, good, good. What about horses? You talked about Charlie, but anyone else that you think, I've really learned a lot from this horse? Yeah, I I think of the horses that I've currently got and I've had since I was a kid and they've all taught me a lot. I, I actually, once I, um, Charlie retired from endurance and my sister did a bit of endurance on him and then I did some and I took him to... Um, I think we got 2,000 miles on Charlie and he had little ears that hung out to the side like motorbike handles and he was just a bitzer of a horse but he was just tough and um, he was able to do a lot. Um, But the next one I had was a stallion called Paladin Syed and um, I used to, when I was was only, you know, in my early teens and um, I did another 1,000 miles on that horse as well and he... um, he taught me a lot, but one of the things he taught me was that um, a stallion can can ignore his stallion tendencies um, because he's taught to ignore them. He's taught to just do his job, that you know, of, of being ridden or whatever, and not oh, see a mare and and be all stalliony about it. So that taught me quite a bit. Um, but then I've I've had another one on the front of my um, book, Horsemanship Essentials, there's a horse called Monty, and um, he's an Arab that I that I had from Montego Bay, from the Montego Bay lines, and that horse taught me a lot. Um, 
he taught me a lot. Um, very smart horse. So they they all seem to teach you things. And and the thing interesting thing about them, it's like they come into your life to teach you some things that you need to learn at the time. Um, to advance your horsemanship. Mm. <laughs> Each one's got these yeah. different things. They seem there to teach you. And, and sadly, Monty, um, he passed uh, earlier this year. And I really felt like he was kind of like, you know, I've, I've done my part. Yep. He'd taught me a lot. And um, it, it really seemed like he'd kind of said, I'm, I'm kind of done here. I'm, and, and he moved on. <laughs> So yeah, those are certainly the horses that have um, taught me lots of lots of things. Yeah, and it will yeah. be interesting to see what one walks in the door next. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think your proudest moment's been? Um, well, the, the stallion that I talked about earlier, Paladin Syed, yeah, I actually yeah. um, we got awarded the um, horse of the year for High Point Junior Horse of the Year, fittest mm-hmm. horse. Um, and and that that moment was very um, very special because it's about you know fittest horse in endurance riding is is not whether you came first or second or it, it's about the preparation and the how you've looked after your horse and it's a recognition of that and um, him getting the um, the pure Arabian uh, high point horse of the year that was that was pretty momentous for me pretty good yeah yeah. Thinking about where you are now, you know, going out, doing clinics, you've obviously got to put the miles in before you start to do clinics and teach and everything, you know, and you've certainly put the miles in, not just on the horses, but put the miles, put the time in with horses before you've started off on a career of teaching people. But what do you think, if you think of a business that going out doing clinics, what's the most challenging part of the business? You've got to be able to help every single type of person and you've got to be able to help every single type of horse. Um, so you've got to realise that when when you're training horses, they're not you, you can't use a cookie-cutter approach. There's Just because that worked with that horse doesn't mean it will work with the next horse or it might be in a different order. Um you know, you might need to do that first and then the next thing later. And if you aren't able to adapt your training to each individual horse, um, you're not going to maximise his potential. You're not going to increase his longevity and his daily um, well-being. And that goes for the people too, you know, because you've got all these different people with all their different things that have happened in their horsey life and, and their personal life. And a lot of the time our personal life affects our, our life with our horse. And you've got to be able to help those people as well through all their their different learned behaviours about horses and around horses and help them to achieve their goals. So mm-hmm. not, not um, you know, there's sometimes people come along and they're a bit gifted or that they find things easier. You don't you don't treat those people any differently than someone that's struggling, but you don't concentrate on the struggling person even and leave the person that's finding things a bit easier alone. You know, yep. you've got to be able to keep everyone included as much as um, you can and help everyone. So I think that that's quite a challenge when you've got such a variety of horses and such a variety of people. So when you go out to a group of students that you haven't seen before, what's a common fault, a common challenge that they have with their horse? Generally, 
it's about for people it's about the things that have gone in the past mm-hmm. and then they they have behaviors that seem to have come about with their new horse um, so people have repetitions of the same things happening with their horses um, and then so that that can make people feel like they're not going to be successful with their horse because that one did it and this one does it as well. Some of the, th- I mean, generally the things that happen are people uh, are pushed on by their horses and their horses aren't focused and they're, you know, they're looking around and looking at other things. And um, the faster people go, like the, as in walk, trot, canter, as they get into the faster gates, the horse gets more pulley, more scattered, more shies and props and they start to find it hard to take the horse places and and just in the day-to-day handling of them, they start can be pushy and, um, you know, people get hurt. So many, there's not very often that we get a a clinic where each person hasn't had some sort of serious injury, you know, that they had to take some time off from horses while it repaired. And that really inhibits people's mental state with their horses. Mm-hmm. You know, starts, especially after you've had kids, I think, um, because most of my clients are women. I get I get quite a lot of men, but mostly women. Um, but it, it's their women after they've had children. I think they um, they're not as confident as yep. as they were beforehand. I'm not sure whether it's because they're like I can't leave the husband to look after the kids, so they've got to be there to do it. Um, so they've got to look after themselves or whatever it is, but that seems to be quite a common occurrence um, for women is to to be really quite gung-ho when they were young and just do anything, ride anything with their horses, and then they might have a bit of a break um, while they have kids, and then suddenly the kids are getting a bit older, they've got a bit of time, they get back in horses, and they find they just don't have the confidence like they did when they were younger Mm. and how to address that. What sort of exercises do they get then? Exercises to increase confidence and, and get it so that horses don't worry about the faster gates. That the horses themselves are quite well behaved and quite happy to be in the faster gates and have horses in faster gates around them, but also for the people that aren't confident, what can you do to get them more confident? The key thing I think we as humans is missed with horses is that the behaviours horses exhibit is due to the way that a horse moves. So their their, their physical movement causes them to um, move in a way that can be pushy. It pushes into people. It goes too fast. It, um, so they pull on the bit and they run away and do all these things. And then they're shy and proppy. And, and the faster they go, the worse it can get. Um, so once we understand, once once people see with the horses, and it's not in a clinic, it's not about me telling them um, do this, do that. Because if you tell people to do various things without them understanding the hows and the whys, it can be hard for them to do it when they get home. They can't remember the exact uh, instructions. But once you show them um, what the horse needs to do with its body, so that say if you're trying to walk in a straight line down a corridor and you're on the ground, say, and the, and the horse keeps just squashing you into the wall, um, it's not personal. For example, it the right on most horses, the right hind foot will not go towards the front right foot. It actually tracks out of line, so it steps 
um, three or four inches to the right of the the line of the front foot. And so what that does, and the horse's ribs uh, are bent to the right, so the horse's nose is more to the left. Um, so as the horse tries to go forward in a straight line, he actually falls towards the wall on the right because his right hind foot steps out and a little bit short. So if you were walking in a straight line and you were on the offside of the horse, the horse would actually be moving towards uh, uh, squashing you against the wall that was um, they were walking along because his right hind foot steps out of line. Mm-hmm. So once they see those things and the horse is pulling himself from his um, front end because that right hind foot steps a bit short now, once you make that right hind foot step straight towards the front foot and it starts to step up um, towards the front foot, then the horse suddenly doesn't veer towards the right and he doesn't squash you anymore. He can walk in a straight line. And if you get that done through walk and trot and on you know, a left rein and a right rein and straight, uh, everything changes for the horse just because of that one foot, yep. Which, yep. which might sound like, wow, what, really? But it's, it's quite amazing. Do you think that we've started horses off like that because we lead them off the left rein and we encourage them to look a little left because they're leading that way and that encourages the quarters to swing out? Do you think that's caused it? I think that certainly doesn't help. Uh-huh. There's actually research now that that possibly thinks that as the horse comes out of the birth canal, that it, it may actually get a bit squished and may even um, fracture ribs and things that causes even a foal to be bent to the left straight uh-huh. after birthing. Um, now, that's, don't quote, that's not factual, it's not, you know, it's it's just a theory, but they come out as foals and they, they they turn left better than they turn right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, our holders do up on the left and our bridles and our rugs and, and we tend <laughs> yes. to talk to lead on the left. And, mm-hmm. you know, so those things um, add to the problem. Yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. The book, Horsemanship Essentials, would you like to just give a bit of an outline on what's included in that book and why you started it? What made you write that book? You know, because not everyone gets out of bed in the morning and says, I think I'll write a book. What inspired you to write it? Well, I I must be honest. My wife was a big, uh, so Sally was a big uh, inspiration uh, with maybe a bit of a big stick as well, saying you need <laughs> to write a book about this and put it all down. Um, so I think without Sally, I, it probably wouldn't have happened. Um, but the the idea behind the book is you can't get to everyone. And also there's a lot of people who aren't confident to go to clinics or don't want to or, or whatever. So you can reach a lot of people with the book. And um, the the different modalities, so videos, uh, reading, um, actually coming to clinics, all of those things seem to help get your message across. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I'm, I'm outlining from start to finish exactly what I would do with a horse that's coming in, whether it's a horse that's not broken in or whether it was a horse coming in with problems um, to rectify. I always start at exactly the same place. You teach the horse to focus first and then move correctly, flex his ribs left and right and 
and um, gets your transition to your gates and that in place. And, and um, that's outlined in the books, book how I use the yards to create focus and how I use feeding to help um, with my ribbon work, you know, right and left reins when I'm feeding. Um, so I've, I've tried to include as much as I possibly can in the book. So it's, it's a real great training tool. Okay, good. Now, what are you looking forward at the moment, Steve? Well, we've got um, Equitana is our biggest thing coming mm-hmm. up, which, yep. I mean, we've got clinics uh, and courses and things, but Equitana is in November in Melbourne this year, and, and um, we were invited to be a educator at Equitana. So we have a couple of sessions where we'll be out on the, um, the sand arenas there um, trying to help people with, with our message and what we do. So I'm really looking forward to that. And um, then starting to plan for next year with where we'll be. We've got um, clinics in New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria. So and I'd like to go overseas as well and, and do some um, teaching over there as well. We've got some invitations and people over there. It's just trying to – it can be hard to get out of the country um, and leave your own horses and things for, for a while. But that's our goals for next year. When you said that, it sounds like Australia is a country that it's hard to get out of. But I understand what you mean. It's hard to move away from the work that you're doing in your own place and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It can be. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got your own horses that are at home and then you've also got your clients that are around. Yes. Them. And when you go off, you don't abandon them as such, but, you know, you're not there for them. Mm-hmm. So that, that mm-hmm. can be difficult. But the, the idea of what I'm doing is so that they don't need me. That's what I want for them is that they understand how to do this themselves and, and they really don't need me anymore. Yep. Um, yep. So that's my goal for my clients. All right. Now, just in a couple of sentences, can you summarise your philosophy with horses, please? In a couple of sentences? Mm. Um, it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> when you think about, you know, you go and do a clinic and you might go two days or even five days and I'm saying just do it in two sentences. It's all right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's all right, Glennis. I think think I can sum up my philosophy, which is posture dictates state. So what that means is the physical structure and how the horse uses its body um, dictates its state of mind. So if I can use a quick example, if you were standing next uh, between two sheds in a tight space and your horse was feeling really fearful and scared in that space because it's claustrophobic, um, to actually make it feel better in that space, you will physically help it to get its right hind foot to hit the ground and take weight so that its pole and its jaw went soft. As mm-hmm. soon as you got that to happen, the horse would perceive the same area to be now safe. He would be safe in that area. But you've actually taken him to the space and you haven't changed the space that he's in. Yep. You've changed his physical posture, so therefore you change his... Um, perception of his surrounds mm-hmm. um that that's what we've got to do with horses their physical posture right and then we can go anywhere do anything any of the gates and the horse isn't fearful and intimidated and he stays focused and on job yep yep makes him very safe i think that's good good explanation too steve how can people contact you they're going to be able to get you on horsechats.com slash steve brinkworth or go to horsechats.com and search for Steve, search for Brinkworth. But just if they're ready now, what contact details have you got for us? Um, they're 
find to my mobile phone number is actually on our website. So mm-hmm. I'm happy to give that out if people would want to contact us, which is 0417-864-062. And we're also contactable through the website, which is um, www.stevebrinkworth.com. And you can also look up uh, Horsemanship Essential Steve Brinkworth on Facebook and contact us through that. Okay. So any of those mediums and we'll, we'll get back to you straight away. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Steve. And we'll I'll talk to you about coming back and being a guest another time on uh, Horse Chats. It'd be really good if you can come back and I've enjoyed talking to you today. So thank you. Thank you, Glennis. And I'll look forward to speaking with you again. Okay. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 